0: Welcome to Talking Property, our CBRE podcast series where our team of experts, our clients and industry specialists share insights into the way we live, work and invest through the lens of commercial real estate. I'm Amanda Steele, Executive Managing Director of CBRE's Pacific Property Management Business and I'm your host for this latest Talking Property episode. Today we'll be talking about creating inclusive spaces and the vital role this plays in shaping our future cities. It's a very timely topic with Sydney World Pride currently underway and it is fabulous, celebrating LGBTQIA arts and culture with a range of inclusive, diverse, accessible and safe events. Having that same ethos of inclusivity to ensure that our cities offer welcoming spaces for everyone, regardless of sexuality, gender or race or background, is vital as our cities continue to evolve. And it's certainly something that's top of mind for government and the property industry. To talk more about this topic, I'm very excited to be joined by James Hume, the Director of External Affairs and Strategy for the Office of the 24-Hour Economy Commission, by Letitia Hope, the Partnership Experience Lead for ISPT, and by Belinda Mills, Senior Manager of Marketing and Communications at Brookfield Property. Thank you all for joining me today. James, I'm going to start with you. I hope that's okay. I know the provision of inclusive spaces is a really big focus for the New South Wales Government as part of its plan to build on the Sydney's 24-hour economy, a strategy which I think is fantastic. As part of that, Sydney recently joined global cities, London, Stockholm and Auckland, in flying the purple flag for safety across nighttime destinations. So, James, I'm really interested. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Purple Flag Program, some of the benefits that have been documented in other global cities and the role you see the program playing in developing Sydney as an inclusive and thriving city?
1: Yes, of course. Um, we are really delighted that Sydney has become the first city in the southern uh, hemisphere to achieve purple flag uh, status. It's an international program. Really, the, the concept is is very simple. If you think when you go to the beach, where do you know where it's safe to swim between the flags? It's a similar concept with purple flag. It's an accreditation scheme that rates precincts and districts on a whole range of metrics Having good policies around safety, good lighting, good access to transport, good use of public spaces, diversity of offer, particularly at night. And areas that achieve that accreditation are able to promote themselves as a a purple flag area. And as you mentioned, there's about 90 areas globally um, that have signed up to this We want those areas, and there's only one that has been created so far in Sydney, but we hope there's many more. We want those areas to be exemplars for a great nighttime experience and really to be leading the way in terms of demonstrating what good looks like in terms of having a safe, inclusive and diverse experience at night.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And really important, James, I mean, we, there are increasing reports of women, children and other minority groups feeling unsafe in Sydney. So how do you address that? What are some of those big ideas? And I also want to know where that first district is.
1: Yes, of course. Yeah, it's the YCK district, uh, the York, Clarence and Kent district within the CBD. And it's a district that's developed over the last few years, um, primarily around small bars, but it's increasingly diversifying into live performance and other activities. We're also doing three other pilot areas across Greater Sydney and very different areas. We've got places like Howden Street in Lakemba, um, which is very much based around around eating rather than drinking and, and and not based around alcohol. Church Street in Parramatta, which many of you will know has undergone significant regeneration with the light rail, and Marrickville Roads and Illawarra Roads in the inner west, which uh, is a precinct that is focused around live performance. So all very different areas, um, but we're certainly hopeful that they will they will all achieve accreditation as well. On the safety point, absolutely, it's a, a huge priority for our office. We take it incredibly seriously. We work across government and across industry to promote um, a really safe going out experience and particularly for, for, for young people, for vulnerable people. Sydney actually rates pretty well in terms of safety. The economist produces a safe cities index that last year rated sydney as the fourth safest city in the world also a lot of the polling uh, we do internally with ipsos demonstrates that actually sydney siders think that the city is is pretty safe that said we're not complacent there's you know real challenges still around um, you know some public order issues alcohol related violence things like drink spiking are um, still prevalent within venues So our role as an office is just to work with stakeholders to try and make sure that we do everything we can to make sure that when people go out, they have the confidence that they will be safe and they can enjoy things and not have to worry about it.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you, James. It is so impressive and important that government's playing such a proactive role in fostering that inclusivity. It's something that goes hand in hand, of course, with major landlords and that broader property industry, which is why I'm so interested in it also. But Letitia, I know it's a significant focus for you and for ISPT. So I'm keen to hear about how you're working to co-create those inclusive spaces with your customer partners and why you see it as being such a vital part of what you deliver. That is
2: essential and really underpins everything we're doing because we're putting people's well-being at the heart of our experience strategy. So think if we think about what makes people thrive, it's, you know, we, we use the PERMA model, so it's positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning accomplishment, and then, you know, health or vitality. And so thinking about all different sorts of people and all different sorts of things that make people thrive, we're using those as our pillars and those pillars mean that we celebrate different occasions, you know, or in all forms of diversity throughout the year. A big thing for us is welcoming people in, so really creating that positive emotion that we provide. And, and I think James's points are so essential, that feeling of of safety and feeling comfortable and feeling curious to learn more about a space or communities within it. So using those pillars, we're able to drive different interest groups and learning networks and people find, you know, more of their tribe. And as soon as we find more of our tribe, then it encourages us to maybe be in that place and linger that big longer. And as I said, be curious about who else is there and what else is there for me. And we know that loneliness is such a big issue for our community, you know, especially you know coming out of the last few years. So many people um, for us, finding something in place or through their work or through their experience of being back in cities or or being near their workplace is so important to be able to find a connection and drive different relationships. So we're celebrating lots this week. Um, We love the vibe that all this diversity brings to the city, the amount of tourists that we've seen around as well, and that are coming in and enjoying um, the celebratory things that we put on. But as I said, this is, you know, part of the, the celebrations this week It's highlighting different diversity but I think also what's the big link between diversity is diversity and flexibility and flexibility is such a big topic and something that you asked about and people's flexibility and what they require is as diverse as people are. But the flexibility we need this week might be different to the flexibility we need next week. And I think learning and, and about people and what, makes them thrive, is helping us drive change in our, in our
0: places. Yeah, beautiful. You do such great work in this space, Letitia, and I'm always really impressed and I love to hear you talk about it. That flexibility is a big part of inclusivity, how you feel welcomed in an organisation. And I think it is that welcoming piece that really drives that inclusivity, so I don't think you can underestimate it. But I've heard you refer to um, that flexible approach to working as lifestyle working, where everything is on the table, so um, whether it's work days or part days or nights um, and even weekend work, and we've noticed in our data that there is a real spike in people coming in the weekend as well, which is interesting, if it's mutually agreeable, of course. So how do you accommodate that in your building and create those kind of socially supportive spaces that make everyone feel welcome?
2: Look, I think it's, it is turning it on its head and I think the, the whole working week has changed, so that flexible piece. I think when we look at different days as well that we celebrate, if we use the 26th of January, that is one that's come up recently that we we can see a real change in the take-up of people that are coming in to work on those days and, and being given the choice to swap to a different day. So that's a really great example that conversations are out there, conversations are changing, and it's giving people more flexibility to make choices that are aligned with their values. And as I said, this comes back to what helps make them thrive, so that meaning piece. So the more that we sort of have conversations about what's important to individuals and, as I said, what's important this week and the flexibility people need this week might change in three months or might change next week. And that's what makes it really challenging, I think, is Really putting the flexible into flexible. Really thinking diversity means diversity, and that is that is a real game changer. But I think when we think about twenty four seven economies and trying to really engage people with the city at different times,
0: you know, changing work patterns is something that could really help support that. Yeah, I agree, especially with um, different caring needs and the different you know blending of our our work and lifestyle needs as well.
2: And I was just going to say too, I mean, I think that's one thing that, you know, it's a big part of flexibility is being driven by parents. But I think what we're learning more about and what we've learned through COVID is people have got all sorts of things going on in their lives. And, you know, flexible needs to be very inclusive of all the different things that people are juggling or want to juggle or want to include in their lives. And as I said, it comes back to what is really helping them be their best, where they want to go and how they want to develop. So I think that's the bit that keeps it makes it a sometimes a more challenging conversation because you know it is easier if we're all kind of doing the same thing and moving the same path, but it's actually not what helps places thrive either. We want that creativity, we want difference and we want people when they are at their best. So I think the the more that we can sort of drive harder conversations Make change, it enriches people, organisations, places, cities, countries, um, and
0: that's what we really want to see. Yeah, beautiful. It is that openness, Letitia, I think, to all that is um, the real game changer in this space. And, Belinda, I know that that focus for Brookfield is really important around how we make everyone feel welcome. It's been a big focus for Brookfield for many, many years. You've done some very impactful NIDOC and Reconciliation Week activities nationwide, particularly last year. And, of course, you have a beautiful World Pride exhibition in situ at Brookfield Place, Sydney, which is a beautiful building. You um, ran a program to align with Right Ribbon Day that saw barbers in your building talk to customers about domestic violence. So tell us a little bit about the impact of those programs and why it's such a big focus for Brookfield.
3: For us, our placemaking program has always focused on the diversity because it makes sense for us to focus on diversity. Our populations in office towers come from all parts of the city. Uh, We have visitors from international, from interstate, travelling to our offices. So diversity is just a natural inclusion of our programming. It's not an add-on, it's just there. And it's really about aligning with the values of those communities to create vibrant places, as Letitia said, that diversity and difference actually creates energy, it creates an eclectic experience space, which is exactly what you want, because it reinvigorates the workplace, it adds to creativity and it benefits employers at the end of the day as well. Our First Nations program was a fabulous example of that. And it was really, for us, our goal was to create connections. And it was really to have conversations that led to outcomes for people. So, uh, the first thing we did was just not look at NAIDOC Week or National Reconciliation Week but actually look at how can we tell a story over an extended program of time that allows people to engage one-on-one as groups in experiential ways, so get literally getting their hands dirty with paint and being able to interact. And what we saw from that was a benefit beyond just our six-week campaign. We saw long-lasting impacts because We saw tenants reach out for their Reconciliation Action Plan consultancy. We saw people getting curated artworks for their offices. We saw sponsorship partnerships developed as a result of it. We saw hundreds of artworks purchased by the individual tenants in our buildings, as well as money that was... We had art options that money was donated back to First Nations charities. So the impact of our campaigns in our office spaces can really have much longer lasting effects if we really focus on building those relationships and the connections, which we were really excited to be able to do really simply by listening and having some conversations at the outset to make sure that what we did really was meaningful and inclusive for everyone and accessible. I think that's the other part with our programming is remembering that everyone's coming into our experiences with different levels of knowledge, um, different levels of understanding, sometimes different biases that might be attached to things, and that's kind of something that we've attached to all of our programming is that accessibility has to be part of the conversation so that everyone can find an entry into the conversation, and that's been the same with our current exhibition with Clifford Chance at the moment. So Clifford Chance have been running their Arcus uh, Pride Art exhibition for 17 years now. Um, It's a global art exhibition and they're a tenant at Brookfield Place, Sydney. So when we started looking at our pride activation, obviously there's a lot of things you can do, very celebratory components, but we wanted to work with with the chance to actually bring that exhibition out of their floor, out of hidden exhibitions and into a really public environment. So, we were able to work with Dr Liz Bradshaw to curate an exhibition for our lobby, but also to have the artwork shown on the George Street steps out from Wynyard Station, which we've managed to kind of transform into a bit of a canvas, which allows so many people to interact with art. And what we really tried to do with this program was Yes, we have a rainbow or two thrown in for the, the recognition and the celebratory component, but the artwork itself is really about showing a different side to the LGBTQIA plus community and showing that art doesn't have to be always provocative. It can be a range of things and it can also be influenced by the cultures that the individuals have come from as well and that they're not just LGBTQIA people. There are also people with cultural backgrounds. Some of them are First Nations representatives as well. Some of them are migrants to this country. So there's a real opportunity for them to share not just one side of who they are, but a multifaceted side, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, beautiful, Blinda. It's interesting with art especially. Like when we talk about engagement and connection, we often go to food and beverage. But I feel like art is such an amazing way for everyone to connect and share in a very emotional way. So I think you're doing great work there. But you're also doing fantastic work with technology. And I think this is a really interesting focus area with inclusivity. I mean, you manage a huge global property portfolio. So what are you seeing overseas and how is Australia performing versus other markets in this creation of inclusive spaces
3: and cities? Yeah, absolutely. So I think Australia, I think, definitely punches above its weight as the size of where we sit in the region. Um, we're sometimes the smaller brother or sister in the, in the global conversation, but I think we do across property industry and across our cities do a really good job at, at looking at that inclusivity in Sydney and in other parts of Australia we've actually rolled out Bindi Maps, which is beacon technology that can be used to integrate with app technology for the visually impaired. And I think inclusivity has to factor in just navigating our spaces and thinking about it in a way that's inclusive of those who don't see the world in the same way we do every day. I think the other way that we've really done it on a global scale is our tenant app experiences that we have. So, What that has enabled for a lot of the industry, but the way we're using it to make it really powerful is a one-to-one conversation tool. So it's not just a mass communication to say this is what's happening in our precincts. It's a real opportunity to ask the thousands and thousands of tenants that we have in our precincts what they think we can do better at, what they're loving, what would make them feel seen and heard and represented. And what we've found is when we ask, they are absolutely willing to share that information. They want to be able to be part of creating the programming in our precincts. And I think that's when you know that placemaking has been really successful is when people are part of the curation of the places they're in. From a global perspective, I think what James was touching on from safety is really important. Canary Wharf in the UK is also a purple flag precinct and that has been a precinct that's been developing over time and, and safety and art have been a big consideration factor in addition to sustainability for making people feel connected to that place. And then we also have in America different avenues that look at slightly different opportunities. There was a program out of the US called Partner to Empower which was really about looking at supporting uh, Black-owned businesses to get a foot into a retail environment and set them up for success and work hand-in-hand with them to deliver really long-lasting benefits back into the community. Yeah, beautiful.
0: Thank you, Belinda. Really interesting work. We should wrap up. I could sit here and talk all day, but I'm going to start with you, Belinda. I'm going to ask all of you this question. So Paul Belinda is the first one to respond to it. But I think it's really interesting to reflect on personally, you know, what does an inclusive space look or feel like to you, Belinda?
3: I think it really has to be a space that's comfortable. It has to feel like there are opportunities to be seen, heard and represented for everyone, not just um, certain groups. And there's a really fantastic quote that I think sums it up better than I could ever sum it up out of the Indigenous Placemaking Council which is if nothing of your culture, history, language or art is visible in the streets, parks and buildings where you live, you can never feel welcome there. And I think that really is what inclusivity is about. It's about making people feel like they belong in that
1: space.
0: Yeah, what a beautiful quote. That's lovely. Thank you, Belinda. James, I'm going to jump to you and ask you what, you know, what's an inclusive space for you?
1: I think inclusive spaces need to be those that reflect society as a whole. And part of our work at the 24 Hour Economy office is to promote a diversity of offer um, at night. And so going out isn't just for young people or for certain demographics. There needs to be an offer for, for young people, for old people, for a whole diversity of demographic groups. So I want to see a city that has lots of spaces that appeal to lots of different groups of people. And there's something for everybody in the city. So that's what we're trying to work to. We work very closely with the property sector and they've always been a really important stakeholder for us because they are designing the precincts and districts of the future. So we have a lot of conversations with them about how do you ensure that they are inclusive spaces? One example at the moment is Tech Central. We're all very excited about the potential of that redevelopment, but we're looking at... It's a sort of precinct where it should be 24 hours. You should have 24-hour amenities. It also should be a fun precinct and somewhere where people will want to socialise as well as work. And it also needs to be a really safe and welcoming precinct. So we are talking to lots of people within the sector and within government about how do you make sure that the area is attractive and inclusive and welcoming for lots of people who use it.
0: Yeah, and doing great work, James. Thank you so much. Letitia, lucky last. What does it feel like for you like what's your personal connection to an inclusive space what is it
2: it's probably two things the first is it's just that ability to be just to be able to breathe and be yourself so i think just if you can walk into a space and you feel relaxed and we've all been in had that experience of walking in somewhere and thinking oh no you know, just shoulders you know drop a little bit you know you feel a bit lighter and i think being able to relax but also be encouraged and supported to be even more of yourself, and I think that's the other part of it and all of the things that both James and Belinda have said that contribute to helping people do those things. The last thing I wanted to say is just thinking about, you know, if you had a a vision or a dream, it's like if we could just use the word people and drop the words diversity and difference, if the word people implies difference, it intrinsically
0: is diversity. That would be a great place for us to get to. Yeah, beautiful, Letitia. And the importance of language as well. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. What a great conversation. I've learned a lot today, but also it's really piqued my curiosity. Belinda, I can't wait to go down and explore more what's happening down at Wynyard and see the beautiful artwork around the street. Art, inclusivity, safety, you know, that cultural connection, all really important elements of what we're trying to achieve around inclusive spaces. Thank you so much for your time, James, Letitia and Belinda. It's been a really illuminating discussion and one I've thoroughly enjoyed. It's fantastic to see such a significant government and industry focus on creating inclusive spaces that will help our cities thrive. It's such an important topic. Thank you also to everyone tuning in to this latest episode of Talking Property with CBRE. If you like the show and want to check out more, visit cbre.com.au forward slash talking dash property or subscribe through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, thank you.